Welcome back to Hope for the Heart. Uh, welcome back to those of you who uh, listened last week, and they're coming back for another part of this introduction that I'm giving to the book of Revelation. Last week, we began looking at verses 1 through 3 uh, with the title that I gave last week as A Glimpse into the Future. Well, I'm not very creative this week, so I'm going to use that same title again, except I'm going to call it Part 2. So this will be A Glimpse into the Future, uh, Part 2, the book of Revelation, and it's really an introduction to the book of Revelation. Yeah, obviously, it's not going to be the whole book. So I want to read to you verses 1 through 3 to give this a context in which this uh, lesson today will fit uh, properly. And so I will read this to you beginning in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of God reads, verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, as we get into this, uh, it's, uh, as I said last week, it's going to be a very exciting study. In fact, it's going to be the kinds of study that uh, is going to be fascinating in, in a lot of ways because, we, we, as we said last week, it's going to be a journey into the future. We're going to see things shocking. We're going to see things thrilling. We're going to see things very troubling. We're going to see things uh, yet also joyful, and we're going to... Uh, we're going to see some things that are actually painful to read, like reading that a third of the world's population is going to be is going to die, or the 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 worldwide famine and pestilence that's coming. It, it's very interesting to read these, and some people get get really into the the fascination of the future because everybody it seems like is fascinated with the future, but. That fascination can get so out of balance, and so we have to, to have a proper perspective. And that's what this study is intended to do, to give you a somewhat balanced, proper perspective on the way the Word of God tells us about the future. That's why I've entitled it A Glimpse into the Future. And as we look at these, last week I began looking at verse 1 by giving you an outline, very simple, and I'm going to continue on that outline. Last week, number one is the nature of the book. And the nature of the book, we said, is really the revelation. It's not plural. It's not revelations. It's, it's one revelation. And that word, as we said last week, means apocalypse. Well, apocalypse has all kinds of images for people because of, of Hollywood, basically. But the apocalypse is, is not a word that needs to scare us. It is a word that literally means to take the cover off or to uncover or to unveil or to reveal something. And, and we saw last week some different ways that word is used and, and some different ways in which we can understand that word. For example, it's used to, uh, that word is actually used and translated appearing. It's used to translate the arrival or the manifestation, uh, an unveiling or an uncovering. And so th that word given to us is really the nature of this book. Out of the 404 verses that we mentioned last week in this book, it is an unveiling of, 
of, of something that he's, 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 he's giving us this information. And that's where we are with the outline. So number one is the, the nature of the book, which is the revelation or the apocalypse or the uncovering. And so you have to ask, well, what is it the uncovering of? And verse 1 makes it very clear, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so number two on this outline is the theme. The theme of the book is Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's it's the kind of thing that we, we really need to get a handle on if we're going to be able to go very far into this book because we need to understand that. We need to understand exactly what he's giving to us here so that it becomes a little clearer for him. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, some people think that it means it's from Jesus, as we talked about last week, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the theme of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, is Jesus Christ in his humiliation. The theme of Revelation is Jesus Christ in his exaltation. But you got to understand that he is the theme. He, Jesus Christ, is actually the theme. This is the apocalypse, and so it is the uncovering, it is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that phrase is used other places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says that we are awaiting eagerly the apocalyptics or the apocalypses of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse, the unveiling of of Jesus. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 it says, "The Lord Jesus shall be revealed." And there again it's the same use of the word. And so it, there there is an unveiling or an uncovering here of the Lord Jesus Christ that we uh, are being introduced to as John is giving us this. Now there <coughs> excuse me, there are a lot of things we could say about this. But I won't go through all of that, but I'm going to just give you this. Uh, it's just kind of a, a continuation of this introduction using this word or the theme of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is it a revelation of Jesus Christ? We know who Jesus Christ is. Well, we do, but yet when you look at this book, <coughs> excuse me, then we see there are, I'll just give you an example of this. As, as we go through the study of this book, it will become apparent that we are seeing the main central theme, which is Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, and he appears in some pretty, uh, uh, pretty amazing ways. He is seen as the risen, glorified Son of God among the churches. He is seen as the Lamb in heaven, publicly invested or given the authority to carry out the predetermined preliminary judgments on men. Uh, He comes to the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. We see him as his Christ. He is the judge on the great white throne. He is, uh, I think this is, I, I wasn't really counting these, but this is like number six. He is the lamb upon the throne of God. Uh, he is, uh, he is I, Jesus, the root and offspring of David the bright and morning star. And so when you go through and you begin to notice all the places that it talks about Christ and the way it presents him, we can begin to see that there are uh, some ways in which he is being revealed. And this is not the whole list that I just gave you. He is also called the faithful witness, 
He's called the firstborn from the dead. He is referred to as the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the Almighty. He is the first, the last, the Son of Man. He is He who lives, He who holds the seven stars. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks. In His right hand. Who walks amidst the seven golden lampstands. He who has the sharp two-edged sword. He is seen as the Son of God. He is seen as the He who has eyes like a flame of fire, like fine brass. He who has the seven spirits of God. All of this is what is being unfolded here and unveiled so that we can have a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is according to this last book of the New Testament. And I I really think, for those of you who are listening, this becomes so important. I just think that in churches today, we really ought to be able to focus more on who is God, who is Jesus, scripturally speaking. For example, he's referred to as the seven spirits of God and the seven stars and he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who is the amen, the faithful and true witness. Well, that all is giving us a perspective of Christ that perhaps would have been a little weak had we not been in church and studying the word of God. But the more you read and the more you study, the more you begin to see a broader perspective of who our Lord Jesus Christ actually is. For example, he in Revelation refers to he is the beginning of the creation of God, the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lord holy and true, the Lord God Almighty, the King of the saints and the Word of God. All that is in this book, he is the center of this book. He is the, uh, as one person says, he is the, the overall covering of the book. He is the beginning of the book. He's the end of the book. He's the middle of the book. He's the top of the book. The book. He's the bottom of the book. He's the inside, the outside. He's over, he's under. Any way you want to look at this book, Jesus Christ is the center of this. The heavens are opened in this book, and we're going to see a vision of Jesus Christ. Not in his, not in his humility, Not in human form. We're going to see him like they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're going to see a vision of Jesus Christ in his sovereign majesty and eternal glory. And it will flash before our eyes over a period of time for as long as we're in the study of the book. It's not going to be a flash like a moment of time in which uh, some in the New Testament have seen Christ in his uh, glorification state. Like Stephen, for example, in Acts chapter 7. We're going to see him as he is unveiled. Now remember now, when we say it is the revelation, the nature of the book, number one. Number two, with it, it is the unveiling or the uncovering of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is God giving to us. Which brings me to number three on this outline. The source. The source of the nature. The source of the theme. Look at what it says here in verse 1 of Revelation. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, now here it goes, which God gave him, notice that's in capital letters, H-I-M, to show something. So God is the source of this. It is the nature of the book is the revelation, the unveiling or the uncovering of things not necessarily known 
So he is revealing more to us the details of the end of the universe and the coming of Christ. The central theme, number two, is that Jesus Christ, as we're looking at this, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him, and that leads me to say that this will be the source of the revelation is God himself. Now, who is this really referring to? We say God, are we talking about the Father? Are we talking about the Son? Are we talking about the Holy Spirit? This is which God gave him. Which God? This is a wonderful aspect of the book, by the way. And it struck me a, a little odd here that God gave him. You'll notice it's not, like I said, ca- it is capitalized in your Bible. And it's referring back to the antecedent, Jesus Christ. And what that says is, God gave this book to Jesus. God gave this, and I didn't mean to say book, God gave this revelation, this uncovering to Jesus. That in itself is a very interesting thing. In what sense is this book given to Jesus? Well, in a sense that God made a promise to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we we, we looked at this in depth when we looked in, in, in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And also when we looked in the Gospel of John, beginning in John chapter 6, it's a wonderful sense in which God promised uh, to exalt Jesus Christ. God made a promise that Jesus Christ would be the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he would be King of the earth. God made a promise that Jesus would be the heir to everything that the Father possesses. And because Jesus humbled himself and because he became humbled, he became flesh, and because he served the Father obediently and perfectly, because he suffered and because he died, God has given to him, Christ, this great revelation of the glory of the, of the uh, end times and the things to come. Now, that isn't, there isn't the time of his coming in here. It's not what he's giving him. He's giving him a full disclosure And I know this is complicated, but here's what it is, plain and simple. He is giving Christ the full disclosure of what will happen in his glorification when he returns. This is all a revealing or an uncovering of his reward reward for such perfect, humble, faithful, holy service. It would be like a father saying to his son, You have been such a faithful, good son, a wonderful son. You've been an obedient son. You've been uh, a purposeful son in your faithfulness to me as your father that I have promised you that if you were faithful and you did what, what I have asked you to do and accomplished the goals that I've established for you, that I would give you your inheritance, my inheritance. And so this is really what it is, and I know it seems complicated, for us to even remotely understand this, which I don't purport to you that I do totally understand this, but I think this is exactly what it is saying. The Father then says basically here, Son, here it is. I have all written it all up in full, and I'm going to hand it over to you now. And in a sense, this is exactly what God has done with this book of Revelation. And if we can handle that, it's... Uh, it becomes a real blessing that God is letting us in on something between the Father himself and his Son. It's, it's almost like going back to John chapter 17 
and being privileged to hear the most intimate of prayers that Jesus prayed in the garden, and he's praying to the Father. And to be able to, to even hear such a prayer and to see how he's responding to the Father is absolutely incredible. Which brings me to this. Everything we're going to see in this book that I have even mentioned is going to be shocking, uh, disturbing, or joyful, or exciting, all of this, God is giving to us. And so he's giving us all of this because he simply wants to. Now, he doesn't have to reveal the future to us. He does not have to reveal this future to us at all. And so he gives us this because he simply wants to do it. And so we we look at this and we have to come to understand that in this, that God is doing this because he's choosing to do this. And so we are able, able to be able to read this, understand this because he gives us the understanding. But I want you to follow this. I know I can get off track easy here. Uh, so I don't want to do that. But the source is God is the source in which he gives him this unveiling or this uncovering. And then number four, I want you to notice the recipients here. Notice what it says when you continue reading in verse 1. The revelation, that is the, the, the nature of Jesus Christ, that is the theme which God gave him, that is the source, but for his bondservants. Look at what it says, God gave him to show to his bondservants. Now, that becomes an interesting thing because we, we begin to look at the bondservants here and we, we, we understand some of what this means because we are bondservants of Christ. It is a revelation which God gave him to show his bondservants. John just takes us to another step in comprehending this book. It is to be shown to his bondservants. In other words, that's why God is giving this book, to show to us. And that's what bothers me sometimes when I read and hear or have discussions. And people say, this book is not for today. It's, it's just, we don't need to teach this in the church. It's, it's a hidden meaning. It's full of, it's like a puzzle or an enigma. And I think about this. Well, here, the, John tells us here that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to us. He's giving it to us. It's not just for Christ to see and understand and anticipate, but it is to be shown to us. It wasn't written for us. God gave it to him, and he has given it to us. We have the right to see it. That makes it an extraordinarily important book. Why would we not want to read that? It clearly says it's for us. I, I've literally had pastors in the past tell me, William, listen, we're different on the second coming. I know I mentioned one last time right out of seminary. We're different, and I, I don't want to debate you, but we don't need to teach the book of Revelation, but I'm going to let you have your belief. I'm going to let you teach it any way you want to, and I'm not going to stand in your way. You, you remember I was telling you about that last week? And the first thing I remember, I went home that night so puzzled. 
And I thought, well, who are the bondservants? I went back to Revelation because the one question I asked that pastor was this. Well, pastor, I don't, I, I don't want to debate you either, but I love the study of prophecy. I love reading the book of Revelation, and I, I just don't know what you do with the book. If you don't hold to this, what do you do with it? And when he told me, I don't read it, I don't study it, I don't know what to do with that book, I thought, well, well, thank you for the honesty, but I can tell you what to do with the book. When you read verse 1, it's written for us. I almost wish I had asked him, well, aren't you, are you a, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ? It, well, then it's written for you. Why would you not read it? But the word bondservant, and I, I, see, I can get off on this kind of stuff, so it just really disturbs me. In fact, I could give you other examples of pastors or professors I've had in the past that would that have shocked people to even hear. But the word bondservant here, uh, servant here, uh, it actually says bondservant here, is, is a word that's, uh, it's, I know you, you're very familiar with this word, doulos, or servant, slaves. That's what it means, slaves. And this, here is one clear reason why non-Christians find this book incomprehensible. It's because it wasn't written for them. I just, I have to make sure I throw that out. And I wonder sometimes if some of these people in the past, and I know some of them were pastors, if they, if they were really true believers, I, I'm not saying they're not. I mean, I, I don't know their heart, but man, it was, this book was never intended for an unbeliever, right? I mean, we, we see that. It was to be shown. Now, hear it again. Let me say it again. It was to be shown to people who are the willing slaves of Christ. That's who bondservants are. Now, the doulos, or the bondservant, is different, say, than the other word that's used, or one of the other few words that are used for bondservants. There, there are, I think, actually six or seven different Greek words for servants, but this one is unique, and I love the way this, this uh, re- reflects what our relationship to Christ is. We're talking about a slave who serves his master out of love and devotion, not because he has to. If a servant said, look, I love you to his master. I love you. I want to serve you even though you're setting me free. I still want to serve you and I don't want to serve you out of fear. I want to serve you out of love. Well, that's who we are. That's what this is saying. This is the kind of relationship we are in which we are saying to Christ, Lord, I want to be your slave, your servant for life out of love, out of what you have done for the believer. The master uh, in the Old Testament would then, when the servant said that to him, would take that servant over to the doorway where there was a wood frame and he would pull his ear and push it up against the doorway and through the lobe of his ear, he would take an an awl and pierce his ear with it, put a hole in his ear, and his ear was punched with that hole. And any slave who had this ear punched was making the statement to his master this, I am yours for life. I serve you out of love, not duty, I am a bond slave, and I am bonded to you willingly as my master. Wow, there is no more beautiful word to describe the believer than that. 
And that is the description given of the people that this is to go to. Listen to how he says it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Christ, I'll say that uh, here because it's him, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Christ to show to his bondservants. You see that? I just think that is so clear. It is so, so very clear that I don't understand why anybody would not want to read this and not want to take it. And it's the only these kinds of people, is what this verse is saying, that will understand the book. Now, I can't push that too far because I have come across too many people that don't want to believe the book or don't want to understand the book. And it never ceases to amaze me when I read such liberal uh, theological literature or something about the, the Revelation, how you pick up some of these things and they read and talk about it in such derogatory ways. But I think one of the things that's very clear here is this. To the unbeliever or to the hypocrite in the church, and many times those are unbelievers, the book is chaos. The book is confusing. The book is pure confusion. But to the loving, willing, bond slave of Jesus Christ, it is an unveiling, an uncovering that makes things very clear. So I have to say, at the very onset of this whole book, if you're not a Christian, the perfect submission, his perfect humility, his perfect suffering, the perfect atonement, all of this is laid out for us in such a way as that we are identified as bond servants for this. But if we're not a, if we're not a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, these truths, listen to this, they're closed to you. You may get some things out of this. You may understand the words that I say. And as I go through, and if you listen carefully to my explanation, it may make sense to you in terms of just information on a page. But remember this, it can never grip your life. It can never become real to you in your heart. You will never comprehend its significance fully and its meaning fully in the terms of the real depth that God has intended it if you are not a bondservant of Christ. That's very simple. It's very clear that we have to be that. You remember back in Matthew 13 when Jesus was teaching in parables, he said to his own disciples, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see, while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You may see the page, you may hear the words, but you will not See with spiritual eyes. You will not comprehend. And then he says to his disciples in verse 16 of Matthew 13, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. That's what Revelation is saying. He's giving it to his bond service because we can see and because we can hear. You see, here it is in a nutshell. The theme or the nature of the book is the Revelation, the Apocalypse, the Uncovering. And the theme of the book is of Jesus Christ. The source is from God, and the recipients are to those are to those who are bond slaves. Or let me put it like this in simple layman terms right now. It is for Christians. The book of Revelation is for Christians. No one else can understand it. Plain and simple. 
Now I want to give you number five on the outline, and then we'll probably stop on this one for this this lesson, and then we'll pick it up uh, next week on the other. And it's not going to be another week for the other one. It'll be like two days. The gospel tells us uh, some things, but as we're looking at, at this, I I want to I keep want to, I keep thinking about the gospels. But number five here in the outline is the character of the of the revelation. Number five in the outline is it's given uh, from God to the Son, which He shows to us. Fifth, and we'll stop at this point, is prophetic character. In other words, the very character of the book. Verse one again: the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to Him to show us bond servants. Now here it is: the things which must shortly take place. That's the character. It is a book of prophecy. Now think about this. And I'm only going to introduce this. Think about this. This is prophecy, meaning it's things coming. It's things that are not happening yet, which drives me crazy when people say this book has already happened. I'd like for them to just point out where in history has this happened. It hasn't. This is a prophetic book. This is something that is future. It's prophecy about things which must shortly take place. And that's a very important phrase. This book differs from all other New Testament books. And we have to understand that. And here's what I was going to say a while ago is I keep wanting to jump ahead to the Gospels because John wrote this and he also wrote the Gospel, one of the Gospels. The Gospels tell us what took place, right? Jesus came, lived and died, rose and ascended. And while there are references to the future, the theme of the Gospels is what happened in the past, Right? Doesn't that make sense? I think that's right. The book of Acts follows. What is the book of Acts about? It is the history of the church, correct? Well, you, I know you can't answer me, but they say it is the history of the church. What are the epistles of Paul and James and Peter and John and all these writers? What are, what are they about? Well, they're about explaining the meaning of the death, the resurrection of Christ, its application to the life of the church. And so they take the history of the Gospels and Acts and move them into the to the, the to the current time or to this present time of the life of the church and the life of the believer. And so we can say the first five books of the New Testament are about the past, and the next group of books, the twenty-one of them, are all about the present and how we are to apply the 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 work of Christ and all that is in those books. But yet, this last book, the Book of Revelation, is about the future. This is about things which must shortly take place. It is a book made up of prophecy about the future, and that is the fascination about this. The outline of the future is going to come in just a a few verses later in verse 19, so I'm not going to to state that here. But the prophecy actually starts in chapter 4, and then it goes through chapter 22. And I, I just I can't wait to get there. Which reminds me, I had somebody contact me this week saying, how long is it going to take to get to the good stuff? I said, the good stuff? He said, yeah, you know where all this stuff starts happening. I said, man, this, it's all good stuff, but we're going to get into I know what you're talking about. That's chapter 4. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get in there we're, a little quicker than I'm getting through this introduction, I'll tell you that. So the prophecy starts in chapter 4, goes all the way through. But understand this. It's a prophetic book. A lost person or unbeliever or non-Christian, they can't understand prophecy. They can't understand the present. Why give them prophecy? They're not going to. All they're going to do is just get fascinated with it. 
as like a fortune teller or, or something like that. It's future sense of prophecy. It's prophetic literature. And I need to mention this to you, know, to you in a very important note. In all prophetic literature, there's a two-sided emphasis. Two sides. There's a coming future glory for Christ in which the saints will participate. But there's always the other side of that, which is the, the future judgment of the wicked. And that basically is what this book is all about. So we're going to, to close this out at this point. I, I told you I wasn't going to get very far, and I don't want to take it too far, but I will be. it's going to seem like just a flash of time when you can play, and it may be titled Part 3, uh, just so we can keep some consistency there. But thanks again for listening in and, and joining us on Hope for the Heart, and I hope these studies are a real, real blessing to you in such a way as that, that God just richly blesses your walk, your time with Christ, your prayers, and may you always be reminded of what he has done for us and that he is allowing us to be blessed by this book. Thank you again. Bye-bye.